I want to teach you an Irish word. But I want you to really focus first. So can you breathe deeply for me a few times? Just inhale slowly. Then exhale. Now, if you put your hand over your heart, you'll notice that your heart rate increases when you breathe in and slows down as you exhale. I want you to be calm and receptive for this piece. So make the exhale longer than the inhale. Immediately, this will affect your body. Blood pressure decreases. Cortisol levels drop. Your temperature lowers, which cools the body and reduces anxiety. So, just one more slow exhalation. Now, are you ready? The word I want to introduce you to is grin ant. Grin ant. It means awareness with discernment, or recognizing the true nature of an object, an event, or a person. Seeing through the superficial and the surface, to the core essence of someone or something. It's connected to grin hull, which means lucid intent, or the act of directing one's focus or consciousness to influence events or things or people. It's the way that druids and shamans and mystics and sadhus manipulate reality and influence the world. Grin Ahant and Grin Hull. I wish the language that the English occupiers had left us with had words like these. But alas not. And we have to make do with what we have. So, moving on. The Almanac of Ireland, a series of musings, meditations and ruminations from all over Ireland. Bread. Let's talk about bread, about the rawn. Starting out with my all-time favourite description of a woman preparing to grind some grain, written by Padre Leiden who describes the banatee going out into the haggard and pulling two good sheaves from the middle of the best corn stack. Then she sweeps the hearthstone and washes and dries it and lights a bog deal splinter to burn the sheaves on the hearthstone. Then she gathers up the dried oats and lets the wind blow through it so that the ashes of the straw and the chaff are thoroughly cleaned out of it. Then it gets passed through the quern and the sieve only then does she start actually making the bread. I love that. Especially the idea that we used to make our bread out of oats long ago. It puts pay to all that hokum about wheat and soda bread being the traditional bread of Ireland. That's rubbish. It's raw mate. And I have a chef and a leading food historian to back me up on this. Soda bread was the bread of Ireland for the last maybe 170 years, but no more. And the reason is that to make soda bread, you need a thing called soda, which is baking soda. And baking soda only appeared, I think, around the 1830s or so. That's Martin Makanumara, who lectures in the DIT School of Culinary Arts and Food Technology in Dublin. He's going to help us sift through the flour. No, no, wade through the dough. No, slice into the mystery of Irish bread. 
Because if we weren't eating soda bread, then what were we eating for all those hundreds of years? We sort of touched on this, but maybe a better question is why did soda bread become popular in Ireland at all? The reason it worked so well in Ireland and the reason it took off so well in Ireland is that the type of flour we grow in Ireland is actually a soft wheat flour. So it's low in gluten. It's not really ideal for yeast breads as such. But this new miracle substance, baking soda on the other hand, combined with buttermilk was found to be a powerful and uncomplicated raising agent. And then that was just mixed with a soft flour, maybe a little bit of butter rubbed in with a bit of salt and it could be cooked on an open fire in a bastable pot. Bastable pot, you could put this sort of embers on top, which forms what they call a Dutch oven as such, and every, every house could make it. Perfect. Okay, but then if the baking soda, bicarbonate soda is only invented in the 1830s and probably only would have come into main use whenever the 1870s, 1880s, what were we eating before that? Okay, so does it actually break the rules of radio if I come back in now and answer my own question? It's just that it's the neatest way to make the link work. So, we were eating bread made from grains other than wheat, as we discussed. Oats would have been the main thing, because oats will grow in poor land, in wet land, in all that sort of stuff. Then you have barley, then you have rye. And the type of bread you ate was dictated by your means and your place in society. Farmers and poor people, for instance, made unleavened oat cakes. Basically it would have been oats mixed with some butter, maybe sometimes some berries or different things like that. And there was what they call harning stands, which are these little sort of three-legged bits that you sat around the hearth and you would put the oat breads on them and they would gradually dry out and harden as such. So the harning stands were hardening stands as such. But if you're in a village or a town, you have a community, and within the community, you have a mill. So the mill will actually process your wheat for your, or your oats or your barley or, or your rye or whatever to actually turn it into flour. They will take a percentage of that in their cost. But equally, there were communal ovens in these sort of towns so that you could actually make your bread and then you would bring it to the communal oven and it would be put into the communal oven and then again you would pay a certain amount for that. So you'd bring your dough in a little bowl or something, a little basket down and somehow you'd know which was your bowl, which was your bread. Oh it was all organised, not just that but actually in the cities and in the towns it wasn't just your bread but if you're making pies or roasts or anything like that there was a cook shop right and a baker and the reason was is that in those cities an awful lot of the uh, buildings were made out of wood and there was always the fear of fire. And hence, they didn't want people sort of cooking in their own little small house sort of thing, because if they could, the whole place, like think about the fire of London, was it 1660 or something like that. So after that, they started actually building cities out of bricks instead of wood. But that was the importance of having the communal oven and having the cook shop. And even the idea about chefs and even the idea about sort of like there's uh, some of those different trades to do with butchers and chefs and fishmongers, all that sort of stuff because of smell. They were always just outside the city walls. So even if you have a look at Dublin and you look at where Cook Street is, Stradna Gokerty, it is there just at the city walls. Fishamble Street, Wine Tavern Street just at the city walls. And the idea was that then all the effluent and all could go straight into the river 
and also if there was a fire that it was outside of the city but also close to the river so that if water was needed to try and put it out you know what i mean so it all makes sense god if you look through the world through a food prism everything changes suddenly yeah. everything and so like and again in in marrakesh and in fez i would have seen people going with dough to the communal oven but i just never knew it happened in Ireland oh, yeah. until what a few centuries ago yeah up until you probably 200 years ago or so yeah In some ways, carrying dough through the streets is unimaginable now. And yet, people have got so obsessed with creating the very best conditions for their homemade sourdough that I can imagine if there was some sustainable way of having communal, wood-fired brick ovens, we might actually return to those days. Don't underestimate the power of bread to control us. Its importance is evident in the amount of grain-based place names from Agenkirk, County Armagh, which derives from Achan Hirke, Field of the Oats, or Lugalustrum in County Leitrim, from Lugalustrum, which means the hollow of the burnt corn. Lostrum or Loskdon means corn burnt off the ear instead of being thrashed, as was described in that piece by Padre O'Leary. Rye was another popular grain, particularly in colder, wetter parts. The place name Capotagal in County Galway comes from Capoch Untiagal, the tillage plot of the rye. Bread obviously took on a big step forward when the Normans arrived, with their knowledge of brick ovens and how to incorporate yeast into baking. It was they who really developed the idea of the communal oven, and they introduced us to the sophistication of wheat bread which was a lot fancier and easier to digest than rye, oat or barley loaves. But wheat has a hell of a lot to answer for. It changed everything, and indirectly it led us to what was undoubtedly the darkest years of our history. During the Franco Wars, where wheat, which would have come from African places and other places, southern Europe, up to England, couldn't come in because there was a blockade, the French were blockading them, so the English basically took a project to turn Ireland into its breadbasket. And there was a whole process of getting the landlords to increase the growth of wheat. But part of the growth of wheat there was that you cannot plant wheat, you know, the same crop every year in the same fields. You know, we all understand about the you know, rotation of crops, but potatoes, actually worked as this wonderful sort of rotating crop that used to clean the soil. But this new method of crop rotation was very labour intensive. The fields had to be ploughed, the potatoes needed to be planted and then harvested. So when the English turned Ireland into a breadbasket, suddenly there was so much more employment. So people then could have jobs. And then there was this plentiful food source in these potatoes that were being used just as a cleansing, rotating crop. So suddenly there was food for the labour. So when there was food and job and labour, people then could marry at a much earlier age. There was security, so people were marrying at 17, 18, they were having big families. And then we end up with disaster because after the Battle of Waterloo, and suddenly the war is over, and suddenly then we don't need this grain anymore. So it goes back to pasture and all the lads who are working on the fields who have their families at this stage are unemployed. 
And it's at this point we might pause to think about what happened next, because it's pretty heartbreaking. Many of the labourers who lost their jobs after the collapse of the wheat industry in 1815 had no money to rent fertile plots elsewhere. Many moved their families into marginal lands where the only crop that thrived was the potato. And the amazing thing about the potato was that they could still survive if they had an acre even up on the side of a mountain where people hadn't lived before. They could actually grow enough potatoes there and then they could go and they could work as spalpeens as such as sort of migrant labourers around the place or they could even go over to Scotland or go a different place and then come back for the harvest. The harvest was always later in Ireland so they could have actually reaped the harvest maybe down in southern England or elsewhere or even in southern Ireland and then make the way back to the western seaboard and and do their own harvest. And that is one of the reasons that the population of Ireland went from 1 million in 1590 up to 8.4 million in the eve of the famine. Man, because England were fighting France and wanting more grain. The repercussions, God, it's like dominoes. By the 1840s, after years of subsistence living, one-third of the people in this country relied on a healthy and fruitful potato harvest just to stay alive. The average male adult ate between four and five kilos of potatoes every day. It was, as we now know, a precarious existence that was brutally crushed by the arrival of the potato blight in 1845. If only soda bread had been our traditional food at the time, or any type of bread for that matter, anything else other than the damned potato, we might have saved ourselves such trauma, such devastation. And of course, we were growing grain in Ireland in the famine years, vast amounts of it, but it was all being exported. Rye, barley, oats, wheat. These have all been grown here for thousands of years, since the Bronze Age, maybe even the Neolithic. Although soda bread cannot claim to be a traditional food of Ireland, certainly there are foods that can, and Martin has some thoughts on this. Well, I've got some oats here, right? So I've got some porridge oats, right? And I've got some, you know, the, these are the, you know, the pinhead oats as such, okay? So there's different forms of oats. But I was thinking about this. Wintertime, what do I have for breakfast? I have porridge. So it's porridge that's made on sort of half milk and half water, all right? Bit of salt, okay? And then I would normally put in some chopped hazelnuts, if a few hazelnuts here, right, some chopped hazelnuts, and I'd normally put in a spoon of blackberry and apple jam, right, that would be after harvesting, you know, the end of, as I say, end, uh, what does Seamus Heaney's poem about the blackberries, you know, late August, you know, the, the blackberries would ripen, you know. I was only thinking about it that everything there, or it could be a little bit of honey if it wasn't the jam, like in the sense, everything there is what our ancestors ate three, four, five thousand years ago. You know, plus a change, and yet we don't think we have a food culture in this country. It's hidden in plain sight. It's so true. It's hidden in plain sight, especially in the place names, like Cloyne Kshava in Offaly, from Kshava meaning wild garlic, 
or Portna Blache in County Donegal, Thrum Blache meaning buttermilk, or Drum Cunin in County Monaghan, from Cunin, rabbit, or Dua Vyulra in Mayo, from Bjuller meaning watercress. You've been listening to The Almanac of Ireland, presented by me, Monaghan McGann, and produced by Colette Kinsella. The series was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. It's a Red Hair Media production for RT Radio.